Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and it's great to be with you today. It's been quite a while since we last did a Guy de Maupassant story. We have two stories today from Guy de Maupassant. The first is Lasting Love. Our second story is called His Avenger. It's the 19th century. You're one of many guests sitting around a brightly lighted table covered with fruit and flowers, and the conversation has drifted to love. As you might imagine, there'll be quite a difference of opinions. And now our story, Lasting Love, by Guy de Maupassant. It was the end of the dinner that opened the shooting season. The Marquis de Bertrands, with his guests, sat around a brightly lighted table, covered with fruit and flowers. The conversation drifted to love. Immediately there arose an animated discussion, the same eternal discussion as to whether it were possible to love more than once. Examples were given of persons who had loved once. These were offset by those who had loved these were offset by those who had loved passionately many times. The men agreed that passion, like sickness, may attack the same person several times, unless it strikes to kill. This conclusion seemed quite incontestable. The women, however, who based their opinion on poetry rather than on practical observation, maintained that love, the great passion, may come only once to mortals. It resembles lightning, they said, this love. A heart once touched by it becomes forever such a waste, so ruined, so consumed, that no other strong sentiment can take root there, not even a dream. The Marquis, who had indulged in many love affairs, disputed this belief. I tell you it is possible to love several times with all one's heart and soul. You quote examples of persons who have killed themselves for love, to prove the impossibility of a second passion. I wager that if they had not foolishly committed suicide, and so destroyed the possibility of a second experience, they would have found a new love, and still another, and so on till death. It is with love as with drink. He who has once indulged is forever a slave. It is a thing of temperament. They chose the old doctor as umpire. He thought it was as the Marquis had said, a thing of temperament. As for me, he said, I once knew of a love which lasted fifty-five years without one day's respite, and which ended only with death. The wife of the Marquis clasped her hands. That is beautiful. Ah, what a dream to be loved in such a way. What bliss to live for fifty-five years enveloped in an intense, unwavering affection. How this happy being must have blessed his life to be so adored. The doctor smiled. You are not mistaken, madame. On this point the loved one was a man. You even know him. It is Monsieur Choquet, the chemist. As to the woman, you also know her, the old chairmender, who came every year to the chateau. The enthusiasm of the women fell. Some expressed their contempt with pooh, for the loves of common people did not interest them. The doctor continued. Three months ago I was called to the deathbed of the old chairmender. The priest had preceded me. She wished to make us the executors of her will. In order that we might understand her conduct, she told us the story of her life. It is most singular and touching. Her father and mother were both chairmenders. She had never lived in a house. As a little child, she wandered about with them, dirty, unkempt, hungry. They visited many towns, leaving their horse, 
wagon, and dog, just outside the limits, until her parents had repaired all the broken chairs in the place. They seldom spoke except to cry, "'Chairs! Chairs! Chairmender!' When the little one strayed too far away, she would be called back by the harsh, angry voice of her father. She never heard a word of affection. When she grew older, she fetched and carried the broken chairs. Then it was she made friends with the children in the street. But their parents always called them away and scolded them for speaking to the barefooted child. Often the boys threw stones at her. Once a kind woman gave her a few pennies. She saved them most carefully. One day, she was then eleven years old. As she was walking through a country town, she met, behind the cemetery, little Choquet, weeping bitterly, because one of his playmates had stolen two precious liards. The tears of the small bourgeois, one of those much-envied mortals who, she imagined, never knew trouble, completely upset her. She approached him, and, as soon as she learned the cause of his grief, she put into his hands all her savings. He took them without hesitation and dried his eyes. Wild with joy, she kissed him. He was busy counting his money and did not object. Seeing that she was not repulsed, she threw her arms round him and gave him a hug. Then she ran away. What was going on in her poor little head? Was it because she had sacrificed all her fortune that she became madly fond of this youngster? Or was it because she had given him the first tender kiss? The mystery is alike for children and for those of riper years. For months she dreamed of that corner near the cemetery and of the little Jap. She stole a sow here and there from her parents on the chair money or groceries she was sent to buy. When she returned to the spot near the cemetery, she had two francs in her pocket, but he was not there. Passing his father's drug store, she caught sight of him behind the counter. He was sitting between a large red globe and a blue one. She only loved him the more, quite carried away at the sight of the brilliant-colored globes. She cherished the recollection of it forever in her heart. The following year she met him near the school, playing marbles. She rushed up to him, threw her arms round him, and kissed him so passionately that he screamed, in fear. To quiet him, she gave him all her money, three francs and twenty centimes, a real gold mine, at which he gazed with staring eyes. After this, he allowed her to kiss him as much as she wished. During the next four years, she put into his hands all her savings, which he pocketed conscientiously in exchange for kisses. At one time, it was thirty sons, at another, two francs. Again, she had only twelve sows. She wept with grief and shame, explaining brokenly that it had been a poor year. The next time, she brought five francs, in one whole piece, which made her laugh with joy. She no longer thought of anyone but the boy, and he watched for her with impatience. Sometimes he would run to meet her. This made her heart thump with joy. Suddenly he disappeared. He had gone to boarding school. She found this out by careful investigation. Then she used great diplomacy to persuade her parents to change the route and pass by this way again during vacation. After a year of scheming, she succeeded. She had not seen him for two years, and scarcely recognized him. He was so changed, had grown taller, better looking, and was imposing in his uniform, with its brass buttons. He pretended not to see her, and passed by without a glance. 
she wept for two days, and from that time loved and suffered unceasingly. Every year he came home, and she passed him, not daring to lift her eyes. He never condescended to turn his head toward her. She loved him madly, hopelessly. She said to me, "'He is the only man whom I have ever seen. I don't even know if another exists.' Her parents died. She continued their work. One day, on entering the village, where her heart always remained, she saw Choquet coming out of his pharmacy with a young lady leaning on his arm. She was his wife. That night the chairmender threw herself into the river. A drunkard passing the spot pulled her out and took her to the drug store. Young Choquet came down in his dressing gown to revive her. Without seeming to know who she was, he undressed her and rubbed her. Then he said to her in a harsh voice, "'You're mad. People must not do stupid things like that.' His voice brought her to life again. He had spoken to her. She was happy for a long time. He refused remuneration for his trouble, although she insisted. All her life passed in this way. She worked, thinking always of him. She began to buy medicines at his pharmacy. This gave her a chance to talk to him and to see him closely. In this way, she was still able to give him money. As I said before, she died this spring. When she had closed her pathetic story, she entreated me to take her earnings to the man she loved. She had worked only that she might leave him something to remind him of her after her death. I gave the priest fifty francs for her funeral expenses. The next morning I went to see the Choquets. They were finishing breakfast, sitting opposite each other, fat and red, important and self-satisfied. They welcomed me and offered me some coffee, which I accepted. Then I began my story in a trembling voice, sure that they would be softened, even to tears. As soon as Choquet understood that he had been loved by that vagabond, that chairmender, that wanderer, he swore with indignation as though his reputation had been sullied, the respect of decent people lost, his personal honor, something precious and dearer to him than life, gone. His exasperated wife kept repeating, "'That beggar! That beggar!' Seeming unable to find words suitable to the enormity, he stood up and began striding about. He muttered, "'Can you understand anything so horrible, doctor?' "'Oh, if I'd only known it while she was still alive, "'I should have had her thrown into prison. "'I promise you she would not have escaped.' "'I was dumbfounded. "'I hardly knew what to think or say, "'but I had to finish my mission. "'She commissioned me,' I said, "'to give you her savings, "'which amount to 3,500 francs. "'As what I have just told you "'seems to be very disagreeable, "'perhaps you would prefer to give this money to the poor.' They looked at me, that man and woman, speechless with amazement. I took the few thousand francs from out of my pocket. Wretched-looking money from every country, pennies and gold pieces all mixed together. And then I asked, "'What is your decision?' Madame Choquet spoke first. "'Well, since it is the dying woman's wish, it seems to me impossible to refuse it.' Her husband said, in a shamefaced manner, "'Well, we could buy something for the children with it.' "'I answered dryly, "'As you wish.' "'He replied, "'Well, give it to us anyhow, "'since she commissioned you to do so. 
"'We will find a way to put it to some good purpose.' "'I gave them the money, bowed, and left. "'The next day Chokay came to me and said brusquely, "'That woman left her wagon here. "'What have you done with it?' "'Nothing. Take it if you wish.' "'It's just what I wanted,' he added, and walked off. "'I called him back and said, "'She also left her old horse and two dogs.' "'Don't you need them?' "'He stared at me surprised. "'Well, no. Really. What would I do with them?' "'Dispose of them as you like.' "'He laughed and held out his hand to me. "'I shook it. What could I do? "'The doctor and the druggist in a country village "'must not be at enmity. "'I have kept the dogs. "'The priest took the old horse. "'The wagon is useful to Joe Kay, "'and with the money he has bought railroad stock.' That is the only deep, sincere love that I've ever known in all my life. The doctor looked up. The Marquis, whose eyes were full of tears, sighed and said, There is no denying the fact. Only women know how to love. Thank you for joining us for Lasting Love by Guy de Maupassant. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001stories at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. And now, His Avenger by Guy de Maupassant. When Monsieur Antoine Lulay married the widow Madame Mathilde Sory, he had already been in love with her for ten years. Monsieur Sory had been his friend, his old college chum. Lulay was very much attached to him, but he thought he was somewhat of a simpleton. He would often remark, "'That poor Suri, who will never set the world on fire.' When Suri married Miss Mathilde Duval, Lulay was astonished and somewhat annoyed, as he was slightly devoted to her himself. She was the daughter of a neighbor, a former proprietor of a draper's establishment who had retired with quite a small fortune. She married Suri for his money. Then Lulay thought he would start a flirtation with his friend's wife, he was a good-looking man, intelligent, and also rich. He thought it would be all plain sailing, but he was mistaken. Then he really began to admire her with an admiration that his friendship for the husband obliged him to keep within the bounds of discretion, making him timid and embarrassed. Madame Suri, believing that his presumptions had received a wholesome check, now treated him as a good friend. And this went on for nine years. 
One morning, a messenger brought Lule a distracted note from the poor woman. Suri had just died suddenly from the rupture of an aneurysm. He was dreadfully shocked, for they were just the same age. But almost immediately, a feeling of profound joy, of intense relief, of emancipation, filled his being. Madame Suri was free. He managed, however, to assume the sad, sympathetic expression that was appropriate, waited the required time, observed all social appearances. At the end of fifteen months, he married the widow. This was considered to be a very natural and even a generous action. It was the act of a good friend of an upright man. He was happy at last, perfectly happy. They lived in the most cordial intimacy, having understood and appreciated each other from the first. They had no secrets from one another, and even confided to each other their most secret thoughts. Lule loved his wife now with a quiet and trustful affection. He loved her as a tender, devoted companion who was an equal and a confidant. But there lingered in his mind a strange and inexplicable bitterness towards the defunct Souris, who had first been the husband of this woman, who had had the flower of her youth and of her soul, and had even robbed her of some of her poetry. The memory of the dead husband marred the happiness of the living husband, and this posthumous jealousy tormented his heart by day and by night. The consequence was he talked incessantly of Souri, asked about a thousand personal and secret minutiae, and wanted to know all about his habits and his person. And he sneered at him even in his grave, recalling with self-satisfaction his whims, ridiculing his absurdities, dwelling on his faults. He would call to his wife all over the house, "'Hello, Mathilde. "'Here I am, dear. "'Come here a moment.' "'She would come, always smiling, "'knowing well that he would say something about Suri, "'and ready to flatter her new husband's inoffensive mania. "'Tell me, do you remember one day "'how Suri insisted on explaining to me "'that little men always commanded more affection than big men? "'And he made some remarks that were disparaging to the deceased, "'who was a small man, and decidedly flattering to himself.' Lulay, who was a tall man. Madame Lulay allowed him to think he was right, quite right, and she laughed heartily, gently ridiculing her former husband to the sake of pleasing the present one, who always ended by saying, All the same, what a ninny that Suri was. They were happy, quite happy, and Lulay never ceased to show his devotion to his wife. One night, however, as they lay awake, Lulay said as he kissed his wife, "'See here, dearie.' "'Well?' "'Was Suri... "'I don't exactly know how to say it. "'Was Suri very loving?' "'She gave him a kiss for reply and murmured, "'Not as loving as you are, mon chat. "'He was flattered in his self-love and continued, "'He must have been a ninny, was he not?' "'She did not reply. "'She only smiled slyly and hid her face in her husband's neck.' "'He must have been a ninny, and not, not smart.' "'She shook her head slightly to imply, "'No, not at all smart.' "'He continued, "'He must have been an awful nuisance, eh?' "'This time she was frank and replied, "'Oh, yes.' "'He kissed her again for this avowal and said, "'What a brute he was! "'You were not happy with him.' "'No, 
she replied. "'It was not always pleasant.' Nolet was delighted, forming in his mind a comparison, much in his own favor, between his wife's former and present position. He was silent for a time, and then with a burst of laughter he asked, "'Tell me! Tell me! What? Will you be frank, very frank with me? Why, yes, my dear. Well, then, tell me truly, did you never feel tempted to, to deceive that imbecile Surrey?' Madame Lulay said, "'Oh!' pretended to be shocked, and hid her face again on her husband's shoulder. But he saw that she was laughing. "'Come now, own up,' he persisted. "'He looked like a ninny, that creature. It would be funny, so funny. Good old Sori. Come, come, dearie. You do not mind telling me. Me, of all people.' He insisted on the me, thinking that if she had wished to deceive Sori, she would have chosen him, and he was trembling in anticipation of her avowal. "'sure that if she had not been a virtuous woman, "'she would have encouraged his own attentions. "'But she did not answer, laughing still, "'as at the recollection of something exceedingly comical. "'Lulay, in his turn, began to laugh, "'thinking he might have been the lucky man, "'and he muttered amid his mirth, "'That poor Sori! Oh, yes, he looked like a fool!' "'Madame Lulay was almost in spasms of laughter. "'Come, come, confess, be frank!' "'You know I will not mind.' "'Then she stammered out, almost choking with laughter. "'Yes! Yes!' "'Yes what?' insisted her husband. "'Come, come, tell all.' "'She was quieter now, and putting her mouth to her husband's ear, "'she whispered, "'Yes, I did deceive him.' "'He felt a chill run down his back, and to his very bones, "'and he stammered out, dumbfounded. "'You, you... "'Deceived him? Criminally?' "'She still thought he was amused, and replied, "'Yes, yes, absolutely.' "'He was obliged to sit up to recover his breath. "'He was so shocked and upset at what he had heard. "'She had become serious, understanding too late what she had done. "'With whom?' said Lou Lay at length. "'She was silent, seeking some excuse. "'A young man.' "'She replied at length. "'He turned suddenly toward her and said dryly, "'I do not suppose it was the cook. "'I want to know what young man. "'Do hear.' "'She did not answer. "'He snatched the covers from her face, repeating, "'I want to know what young man. "'Do you hear?' "'Then she said sorrowfully, "'I was only in fun.' "'But he was trembling with rage. "'What? How?' "'You were only in fun. "'You were making fun of me, then? "'But I am not satisfied. "'Do you hear? "'I want the name of the young man.' "'She did not reply, but lay there motionless. "'He took her by the arm and squeezed it, saying, "'Do you understand me? "'Finally, I wish you to reply when I speak to you.' "'I think you're going crazy,' she said nervously. "'Let me alone.' He was wild with rage now, not knowing what to say, exasperated, and he shook her with all his might, repeating, "'Do you hear me? Do you hear me?' She made an abrupt effort to disengage herself, and the tips of her fingers touched her husband's nose. He was furious, thinking that she had tried to hit him, and he sprang upon her, holding her down, and boxing her ears with all his might, he cried, "'Take that! 
"'And that! They are wretch!' "'When he was out of breath and exhausted, "'he rose and went toward the dressing-table "'to prepare a glass of eau sucre with orange flour, "'for he felt as if he should faint. "'She was weeping in bed, sobbing bitterly, "'for she felt as if her happiness was over, "'through her own fault. "'Then, amidst her tears, she stammered out, "'Listen, Antoine, come here. "'I told you a lie. "'You will understand. "'Listen.' and prepared to defend herself now, armed with excuses and artifice, she raised her disheveled head with its nightcap all awry. Turning toward her, he approached, ashamed of having struck her, but feeling in the bottom of his heart, as a husband, a relentless hatred toward this woman who had deceived the former husband, Suri. We hope you enjoyed our two stories tonight from Guy de Maupassant. If you enjoy our podcast, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, please do take a moment and send us a review. We appreciate reviews very much. We now bring two episodes a week, Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 